Love it, love it. Praise the Lord this morning. Hey, I'll also add to it, again, just been reading Ephesians a lot the last couple uh, weeks, and I just love Paul. Always starts off his letters. I just thank God for you. I thank God in my prayers, and I just want to share that. I thank God for all of you. I really do. We have a wonderful church here, a wonderful body, a wonderful community um, to be together, and I truly do praise the Lord uh, to get to be a part of it with you, and that we're all in this together, and we get to walk together and learn together and sharpen each other and be there for each other. Um, it's truly wonderful, and so I thank God for all of you this morning. Hey, this week, as my guiding principle that's been in the back of my head all week is the immortal words of Michael Scott from The Office, as told through Dwight Schrute. His words were, keep it simple, stupid. Great advice, hurts my feelings every time, as Dwight likes to say. Keep it simple, stupid. Oh, I've been trying to do that as best I can with this sermon. Uh, kind of a fun little uh, note or kind of a cool thing um, about this phrase. It's actually been around far longer than Michael Scott. He did not come up with it. Um, it actually is attributed to this guy named Kelly Johnson. Um, if you never heard of him, that's okay. He was a lead engineer at Lockheed, which is kind of uh, the company uh, probably predominantly known for making aircrafts for the military. Uh, he was a lead engineer way back when, probably like in the 60s, something like that. And um, where this phrase came from was that he once approached his design team and he, he dropped a bag of tools, just your, your, your regular, everyday tools. He dropped a bag of tools on the table in front of them and said that an average mechanic in the field during combat conditions has to be able to fix this aircraft. So keep it simple, stupid. They have to be able to fix this aircraft with these tools. So keep it simple. And from there, it kind of morphed and it's become a, a, even a software principle. Keep it simple. A simple system works most efficiently when it's least complicated. I love that. So this morning, I'm going to try my best to keep it simple. And God knows I can complicate something in a hurry, okay? So I am going to do my best to keep it simple. And this morning, we're going to talk about goals. Not goals in general, but the goal. And in honor of the Women's World Cup, it's goal. We're talking about the goal, all right? Uh, what are we aiming at this morning? As, as, as followers of Christ, you believe in Jesus. Amen. Praise the Lord. Now what? Where am I headed? Where am I going? What are we trying to uh, achieve? Or what is God trying to do in and through me? Uh, where are we going? What are we aiming at? What's the goal? We all know if you aim at nothing, you don't hit anything that you want to hit. All right? We got to have some type of focus about where we're headed. And I think this is super important because kind of like the implicit point, I always have like explicit points I want to make, and then there's just inevitably implicit points. And one of the implicit points is, is how do we behave? Uh, how are we to live here and now, 2023 in Wichita, Kansas? How are we to behave? And so we're going to talk about the Sermon on the Mount. Classic Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verses 7, known as the Sermon on the Mount. And if you read that or read that before, there's a lot of what we would say do's and don'ts. Do this, do this, don't do that, don't do this, right? And I think 
Uh, we need to understand the goal, though, and where we're headed to make more sense of that, of the Sermon on the Mount, the do's and the don'ts. All right? So we're going to talk about the goal, try to be as clear and as simple as possible with it. Uh, I hope I achieve that. I don't know. We'll see. But also talk about our false goals, and just talk about how we can get there. How can we get to the goal that God has called us to, that he is leading us to? Amen? So here's, before we jump into the passages, I want to bring up some false goals. These are some false goals that I think we can inevitably kind of make our aim. And I'm a Christian, and now I'm supposed to aim at this. And I don't think it's particularly good or beneficial or, or right or best. Okay? So the first one is just get to heaven. First one, that's my goal. I believed in Jesus. I gave my life to Jesus. Now all that really matters, all that I'm aiming at, is just get to heaven. Just get there. That's it. I'd say that's a false goal. Right? That's a, a, a very uh, you-focused or me-focused, whoever holds this goal, it's very focused on you. It's just about me getting to heaven. Me to balance those scales, maybe. Do a little bit more good than bad. All right, just get across the finish line. Who cares about anything else, right? It's a false goal. We don't see that in Scripture. We don't see Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount or anywhere else in the New Testament just saying, hey, just get there. Just get to heaven and forget about anything else. I don't think we see that. I think we see more than that. I love it. Second thing, this would kind of fall into the realm of legalism to some degree, is really my goal is now that I've, I've given myself to the Lord, I believed in Jesus, now, how I behave or how I follow God in the present is really just about trying to earn rewards from God, earn a blessing from God. Maybe I'm really just trying to obey God right now so that he gives me a good life uh, with the least amount of pain possible in it. Has that been your goal? I'm just trying to do what's right just so that God blesses me and, you know, not, not that much pain happens to me. Again, Legalism in the sense that we're trying to get something from God. And that's one I think epitomizes that. Third one, here's an interesting one. This comes from N.T. Wright, so this isn't just me. <laughs> the third false goal is that, really, I'm just trying to fulfill the rules of conduct so as to be a good Christian. I'm just trying to fulfill. I see the Sermon on the Mount. Again, I believe in God. And now I see the Sermon on the Mount, these do's and these don'ts, really just as the rules of conduct. This is how I'm supposed to behave because of what I signed up for. And so I'm just trying to do my best to fulfill them and to obey them. And, and that's really it. Have you ever felt like you've fallen into that? It's easy to fall into this one. Boy, do I fall into this one every once in a while. The rules become the end. The do's and the don'ts become the end rather than means to an end. We'll talk about that end. Let's look at this some scripture, and I'll show you uh, where this third one, fulfill the rules of conduct so as to be a good Christian, becomes a really false goal. It's epitomized in one of the greatest passages in all of Matthew. It's actually not the Sermon on the Mount, but we'll get there. But it's found in Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 through 22. So if you have your Bibles, pop those open. Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 through 22. This is the story of the rich young man. This is a good one. A classic story. Really, really amazing story. I'll have it up here on the board. There we go. Let's read it together. 
Here we go. Just then, a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good, Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Ooh, there we go. See? Somebody be like, Grant, there we go. Jesus just said, fulfill the rules of conduct. All right? Obey the commands, and that's how you'll get eternal life. But wait. Let's read on. Which ones? The rich young man inquired. Jesus replied, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony. Honor your father, father and your mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Boom. This rich young man he said, hey, I fulfilled all the rules of conduct epitomized in the Ten Commandments. He's kind of talking about the Ten Commandments and then love your neighbor as yourself. I've done all that. I've fulfilled the rules of conduct, yet he's still aware enough to know that I think I'm still missing it. I think there's still something more to this. It's not just about just fulfilling these rules and doing the do's and not doing the don'ts, and I'll get eternal life. He's like, what do I still lack? Jesus answers him. If you want to be perfect, telos, we're going to teleos, actually. We're going to talk about that word here in a second. If you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad, because he had great wealth. Ah, if you want to be perfect, teleos. Telos is probably the more basic root word of that. Telos. It's a Greek word. It's a great Greek word. I love it. It really just means goal. If you want to be perfect goal, it means if you want to be someone of the goal, if you want to be complete, that's how it's also been translated. In James, it'll be translated complete. Um, sometimes it's translated as mature. Um, other times it's translated as perfect. But where this kind of history of this word, because this is important, Aristotle, as you see on your outline, we're going to get to in a second, uh, really held this word in, in high reverence. And he used this word in his framework for what we could call ethics, all right? This word is the goal. And let's get to Aristotle's framework for ethics. I think this will be an important time to talk about this. Aristotle was really trying to answer the question of how do we behave here on earth? Ethics. How should I behave? How ought I to behave? That's kind of at the core what ethics is. How am I to behave? And he created this framework, and again, Aristotle predates Jesus by like 350 years, all right? And it's not that Jesus took this or by any means, but I think Jesus would, well, actually, how I'm using this really is, I think it's good to take this framework to compare and contrast to better understand what Jesus was saying. So if I'm trying to understand, see if one of my shirts is blue because blues and blacks blend together for me, so do greens and grays, I put it up against something of a different color. And the contrast helps bring out what the actual color is of the, of the shirt. That's what I want to use Aristotle's framework to help us better understand what Jesus is doing and what he is saying and how they compare and contrast. That's really at the heart of this. But again, Aristotle was trying to figure out how ought we to behave. And he brought uh, forth this framework that truly was used for 2,000 years. 2,000 years, any moral discourse 
any conversation on morality would probably use this framework. It was not until the 18th century, and then now, definitely nowadays, we've kind of tossed it out. The, and there's good, yeah, yeah. A lot of bummer stuff has come in the way of that. But we're well, going to stay on topic, all right? Uh, here's this framework. Here's what Aristotle said. The first thing you need to understand is the untutored human nature as it is in trying to develop how we ought to behave, how we should live our lives. He said, look at the untutored human nature as it is. It is no coincidence that philosophers and theologians love to study children. And they love to look at children because it's the most basic, least uh, influenced uh, human nature that we can grasp. All right? They're, they're very uh, default mode, so to speak, when they come out of the womb. And they love to observe children and see how do they behave. And Augustine very famously is like, oh boy, they're sinful from the get-go. And I think every parent here would probably say, yep, pretty early on, boy, they, there is something very selfish, very self-centered. I didn't get this, and now I'm going to whine about it, and I'm going to cry, and I'm going to smack something, or I'm going to bite something, or I'm going to do something along those lines. All right? They have all agreed that this untutored human nature as it is, there's something off about it. Okay? Christianity would very much say it's sinful from the get-go. All right? It's not that, that a child can never do anything good. It's not that they only do evil. But it's that their default mode is very much I. It's self-centered. It's about me. And when I don't get what I want, I'm going to throw a fit. And I'm going to let other people know that I'm unhappy with this decision. And so, and again, in our relationship to God, this is epitomizing our relationship to God. We would say sinful in our relationship to God. God says, hey, don't do this, do this. And what do we do? We do what we want to do. <laughs> we, not that we never don't do what God wants us to do, but when the chips are down, we, we're going to do what we want to do when we want to do it, right? That's why we would say sinful. Here's the second step. So understand the untutored human nature as it is. Then you have to understand humanity as it could be if it realized its telos. Understand humanity as it could be if it realized its telos. For Aristotle, he saw everything having purpose or an end goal in mind. All right? He even saw it in biology. He said, look at biology. Look at the seed. It's trying to get to become a tree. It wants to do that. All, the, all the, the little things it needs to bloom into this beautiful tree are there. And it just needs the right environment to make it grow and to make it become this tree. He saw it in biology. He sees it in humans, man and woman, that as an embryo, it's striving to become what it is. And as, it comes, as we're born, we are striving to become something. And we have all those seeds inside of us. We have all that we need and trying to meet that end. But what is that end? Now, he really felt like it was happiness, or what he would call human flourishing. He would say it's a human being functioning at 100%. It just being exactly what it was meant to be. They would be flourishing. They would be wise. They would be good. All right? This is where maybe Jesus will go uh, in a different direction, but I'm getting ahead of myself. So understand human nature as it could be if it realizes telos. Now, ethics. 
how are we to behave for Aristotle? Ethics is those moral precepts, those moral commands, those moral uh, commands, instructions, those ought tos, those shoulds, which enable humanity to pass from the first state to the last state. Does that make sense? So ethics are those moral precepts which enable humanity to pass from the first state, the untutored human nature as it is, to the second state, humanity as it could be if it realized its telos. Okay, if that's not simple, I'm gonna simplify it. <laughs> okay. What Aristotle is holding up is a kind of character. Character. We talk about character. This person has good character. They have bad character. He's holding up a kind of character. That's the end. That's the telos. Is this kind of character where this human being is truly flourishing. They are flourishing in this world, in this environment. They are flourishing. And he would say happiness to some degree, but he would also concede very much that it's not an emotional happiness and not necessarily that your whole life is pleasant, but it's just the fact that you are doing the good and you are living well on this earth. That is what we would maybe say, uh, we would maybe say a fulfilled life, a satisfied life, a content life. He would probably say more along those lines rather than an emotional, oh, I just feel great about life. He uses a great illustration of who, is, uh, uh, who has reached the goal better. Is it the man who, who had incredible wealth, accomplished everything? Think of Solomon and Ecclesiastes, or is it the guy who lived a truly satisfying, fulfilling life, but found himself in prison? Well, he'd say it's the guy in prison. He lived a satisfying, good life, not the other guy who fulfilled all the desires of this life. What we're trying to get here is this framework. Glimpse the goal, understand the goal, that we are headed towards, and then the ethics, how we get to the goal, how we get to that character become clear. So this, in essence, is a framework that we can use to look at Jesus and look at the Sermon on the Mount. Here's my fear, not my fear, but here's what I'm really trying to combat. Sermon on the Mount, we read it, we see those do's and don'ts, those ought to's and those shoulds, and it's so easy to make them the end. It's all about doing these things. And that's my whole life. That's my whole life now as a Christian, as a follower of God, is just to obey the Sermon on the Mount and just add anything else in the New Testament. All the shoulds, all the ought tos. It's just about obeying them. It's all about getting rid of sin. It's all about being pure. And it's all about just obeying God. No, it's not all about that. It's not. That is very much just our individual, can't you see how that's all about you? It's just all about you now. If it's all about the rules, it's all about you. And it's not all about you. It's very much not all about you. When Jesus sent out the disciples, he wasn't sending them into like, okay, let's see how they deal with these moral dilemmas. You know, we throw some temptation their way. See if they obey my word. No, he said, go and build a kingdom. Go and build a kingdom. Here you go. I'm going to give you Jesus' goal right here, right now, all right? And I tried to simplify it, but then I just threw it all up there on the board, so you might have to take some pictures of it because it's a little long, but I couldn't leave anything out. I wanted to make sense of it as best as possible. What is Jesus' goal? What is the telos? What is the telos for you and for me as followers of Christ? Where are we aiming? Where are we trying to go? Here we go. It's a kingdom. Kingdom. Stop right there real quick. Why is it a kingdom? 
if you don't have a good grasp of the Old Testament, that's okay. But this kingdom is not going to make much sense if we don't understand the Old Testament. This is why the Old Testament is so important. We don't throw it away. We don't get rid of the Old Testament. Old Testament is so important. Why is a kingdom such a part of God's goal? Well, what happened in the Old Testament? God built this beautiful, good earth, and he made man and woman in the image of Christ to be these ambassadors, to be these image bearers of God, and to rule and subdue the earth, and to be fruitful and to multiply. And they were to do that here on earth. And what happened? We sinned. We fell. We said, nah, I'm going to do it our way, right? I'm going to do it my way. And as they continued to populate the earth, this sin, this virus, this disease continued to spread, to spread, to propagate, and to continue to go all over the earth. This was a real problem, not just for, for people on earth, and we all know the effects of sin and, and the self-centered human nature. We have all felt that from people around us, right? But it was a problem because of the relationship with God, and it was getting in the way of our relationship with the Lord, and it was, and God's glory, it was all just messing up. And so what has God got to do? He's got to fix it. Thank God he wants to fix it. Thank God he wasn't just like, you know what? You guys just duke it out. Survival of the fittest. Whatever. No, thank God. Thank God. He started with a person, a people. Abraham. Abraham. Isaac. Jacob. Israel. A nation. If you're trying to take back the earth, probably a kingdom makes sense. Alright? I, I need a culture. I need a kingdom of people that are submitted to me how we were supposed to do it. That are in relationship with me. That are about what I want to do and not about what they want to do. And I want that kingdom to grow. And as that virus grew and took over the whole earth, I want this kingdom to grow and to expand. And as Genesis chapter 12 says, to be a blessing to all the nations. Would not, as you understand God's kingdom and Jesus as he preaches about in the Gospels, would you not say that would be a blessing to this world? Think of the Sermon on the Mount. Would it not be a blessing to the whole world if if we didn't judge each other, right? Wouldn't it not be a blessing to the whole world if we all did unto others how we would have them do unto us? If we all fulfilled that command? Would not this world be very blessed if, uh, gosh, if the peacemakers were praised and blessed rather than seen as kind of weak and spineless, Right? Man, I could go on and on with the Sermon on the Mount. That's why it's a kingdom. That's why it's not this individual, you know, individual self-salvation, just make sure you're good and you make it to heaven kind of goal. That's not it. That's two 2023 Western civilization getting into that goal where it's just about me. And let me just make sure I'm good and everybody else do whatever you want. All right? No. It's a kingdom because God is trying to save the whole world because he loves the whole world. It's a kingdom. That's part of his goal. God's kingdom, let's continue with this tell us. God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus points forward to a day 
when God's kingdom will be fully manifested on earth as it is in heaven. We see this in, a, in an often repeated phrase of Jesus, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The book of the Revelation speaks wonderfully to this end, this goal, this telos. Okay, it's just the whole book. Read the whole book. It's great. It speaks of God's kingdom coming to earth, a new heaven and a new earth. It speaks to that. It does not speak to, oh, man, what life's going to be like in heaven where we're all floating around. Woo! It does not speak to that. It speaks to a new heaven and a new earth where God is at the center and God dwells among us and he is here on this earth. And all authority are completely submitted to him. Amen. Praise the Lord. Oh, I look forward to it. There will be a day when all those that are followers of Christ will be perfect. Telos. Teleos. Complete. Fully a new creation. Obeying all that God commanded naturally and from the heart. Deuteronomy. Jeremiah. Ezekiel. Probably Isaiah. I just can't think of it off the top of my head. But at least all three of those Old Testament books speak towards a day where we will have a new heart, where we will obey God very naturally from the heart, and that day is coming. And Jesus saw that day. And Jesus said, I'm the beginning of that day, baby. I'm starting that process. I am beginning that right now. When Jesus came to earth, he very much saw himself as inaugurating that kingdom. He is inaugurating. He is bringing it in to fruition. He is the big piece, right? The process of God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven began with Jesus. And so Jesus was instructing his disciples and every disciple since to start practicing this new way of being human. The way of being human that you will be one day when God's kingdom is fully on earth as it is in heaven. Does that make sense? There's a way we are all going to be in heaven in God's kingdom. It's a character, a kind of new humanity, a new creation. As 2 Corinthians 5.17 speaks, you are a new creation. And see how it's began. Paul says you are a new creation. It's began. And we understand that it's kind of this already but not yet. It will be fully materialized when Jesus comes back. When God's kingdom is here on earth, it will be fully materialized. It will be fully realized. It will be brought to fruition. But right now, it's kind of already, though. You can begin to learn this language. You can begin to live this way here and now through the, through the help of the Holy Spirit, through God's grace and forgiveness. You can start to live that way. And by that, you start to manifest God's kingdom inside of yourself, but also through you. And the kingdom of God begins to grow here on earth as in heaven. Aristotle would say, become what you will be. Jesus would say, what you will be is what you already are in Christ. When you come to believe in God, you are a new creation. Become what you already will be. Become what you already are in Christ. A new creation. And so is with the Holy Spirit's help. God's grace and our definite intentional engagement in the process of character formation that we realize bring to fruition what we already are in Christ when we believe in Jesus. This is the context that the ethics of the Sermon on the Mount are to be read in. Okay, I know it's a lot, and it's probably like that wasn't simple, Grant. <laughs> probably put very simply, here we go. 
to use Aristotle's framework, we are simple human nature, we know that. The telos by which we are going towards is a new kingdom. We know at the end of time, when Jesus comes back, his kingdom will be on earth as it is in heaven. Revelation, all right, book of Revelation. Read it, read it over and over again. We know that's the end. That's where we're headed. So now, what do we do in the meantime? How do we get to there? If we're going to have this new creation character where we are obeying God's command from the heart, very naturally, how do, what, how do we behave here and now? If that's the end, Jesus says, start doing it now. Start doing it now. I'll give you your Holy Spirit, my Holy Spirit, Jesus' Holy Spirit. I'll give you the Holy Spirit. And start acting that out now. Are you going to fail? Heck yeah, you're going to fail. And it's going to be tough. But I want you to start living that now. I want you to start aiming at that character, that new humanity, that you're going to possess and have when I come back. Or when you die and go to hell. And how we get this and how we make it not about ourselves is that we're focused on God's kingdom rather than ourselves. Here's a great example of this. I played basketball. Loved basketball, played for many, many years. All right? Early on in basketball, you learn the rules of basketball. Can't travel, can't take multiple steps without dribbling the ball, can't step outside the lines, can't be in certain places if you don't have the ball or do have the ball, all sorts of rules. I was a really not, did, I was not a very good basketball player when I was just focused on the rules. You go, any athlete knows, you go out on the field or go out on the court, and you're just trying not to mess up. You're not half as good as if you just let that go and say, you know what? I'm playing to win the game. I'm playing to win the game. I'm going after the goal. The goal is not about me, right? And to my, you know, shame, not really shame, but, you know, I don't feel shame about it. But truly, I tell you what, in high school, if I had a really good game and we lost, I'd be like, you know what? I had a pretty good game. Feel pretty good about myself. How wrong is that? How wrong is that? If you're like, you know, I get to heaven, I was pretty good. You know, I was pretty darn good. Oh yeah. And then you know, all these people around you went to hell. That's a little morbid. But you know, like, isn't that like you missed the point? You missed the point. You missed the point. Like uh, here, here's a really, really good example of the rules have become the ends for somebody. They've sequestered themselves from, from uh, uh, the culture or from uh, society or, or sinful society, so to speak. You know what? I'm, I'm just trying not to be tainted by the world, so I'm going to remove myself, and I'm going to make sure I stay pure, and I just, right? Doesn't that feel like, no, you missed the point. There's people on their way to hell. There's people on their way to hell. It's not the well who need a doctor. It's the sick. Why aren't we going to the sick? Jesus went to the sick. He was friends with sinners. He ate with sinners, right? And I know Jesus was Jesus, and boy, you know, and I'm not saying, you know, just go to the strip club, you know, and go, you know. I'm not saying that, but golly, we can't just be like, you know what? I got to protect myself. Got to make sure this is all good before I go out into the world and I try to go build God's kingdom. See how the goal has, you missed the goal. And therefore, how you behave in the now has become warped. And it's become twisted. And now we're aiming at something we don't really want to aim at. And I'm trying to get you to put your eyes on God's kingdom. And I'm trying to get you focused on a different goal. And undoubtedly, and gosh, I'm so glad it just came to mind. 
I am not saying that rules do not matter, and it does not matter like, oh, whatever, you know, obey Sermon on the Mount, don't obey Sermon on the Mount, who cares? I am not saying that. Any basketball player will tell you, if you're trying to win a game, and you keep turning the ball over because you're breaking the rules, you are not helping your team achieve that goal. So if you are breaking the rules, yes, that is very much going to get in the way of you attaining or reaching that goal, undoubtedly, all right? But what I am trying to address is what I see is this Sermon on the Mount perfectionism in our mindsets. It's the strict rule-following mentality where it's just all about rules. It's just all about rules. And I'm trying to get it slightly off that to know it's more about character. It's more about a new way of being human that encapsulates rules. Very much there are rules, but it's more than rules. Here's an example. Do not judge. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, I think. Do not judge. It's in the Sermon on the Mount. Do not judge. If you just went by a strict rule-following mentality, do not judge. Okay. Do not judge. Right. I'm not going to judge people. I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to judge you. Okay. Cool. All right. Now, well, what about... What about a character that do not judge is more of a signpost pointing forward to a, a new form of character? What if do not judge, uh, we almost have to not, not go beyond it and, or add to it, but a sense of do not judge as a signpost to a kind of character that gives people the benefit of the doubt, cuts people a break. Paul talks about gossip and slander don't recall Jesus talking about gossip. Could be wrong. You find it this week. Tell me. I'll, I'll recant. But how could Paul say, don't gossip and don't slander? I think he very much could point to, well, Jesus said, do not judge. Oh, wait, I thought it was just do not judge. No, it's kind of character Jesus is talking about in the Sermon on the Mount. It's a kind of character. It's a new form of way of doing, uh, being a human being. And so he's saying, don't just make this the end and just cut it off. Right? That's what the Pharisees would do. They would constantly, well, this is what I'm supposed to do. So then, think of the Good Samaritan. Well, I'm not supposed to, I'm a priest, and I'm not supposed to, you know, walk by or touch a dead body. So I'm going to walk on by the, what I think is a dead body. But it's a Samaritan who goes over and helps, helps the person that was beaten. And Jesus says, that's loving your neighbor, not this strict rule following mentality. Does this make sense? Is this simple? <laughs> oh, I love it. Trying to be simple. Let's put it as simply and let's wrap it up. And again, we're going to kind of unpack this for the next, next week probably at least. But this is what I want you guys. This is what I'm addressing. I want you guys probably the most simple thing to be about is I want you to be about the goal this week. God's kingdom. I'm about building God's kingdom. Not about trying to be uh, so hyper-focused on following the rules. Again, rules matter, and I am definitely not saying you have a license to sin. I am not saying that. But I'm just saying from my experience as a basketball player, when I was so focused on trying to be perfect, I would be neutralized on the court. I would not play as well. 
And it was, it was just all about me. It was just all focused about me. And how much shame and how much guilt and how much unrest do we put on ourselves because we're so focused on ourselves trying to get it so perfectly right when God's saying, hey, I want you to build my kingdom. And gosh, I got a lot of grace for you. And I got a lot of patience for you. And I'm going to be working in you through, your, through my Holy Spirit to in your inner being to help you do this. And as you do this, you're going to naturally, naturally, start playing your best. I played my very best when I was not focused on myself, but on the goal. Did I still make mistakes? Yes, you will still make mistakes. Thank God for his grace. But be focused on God's kingdom this week. Be focused on his kingdom and this character, this character that we are going to all be living out when Jesus comes back. All right? And see the Sermon on the Mount. Go, go almost above and beyond it, so to speak. It's pointing towards a character. So go above and beyond. Do not judge, man. Go above and beyond it. Don't slander. Don't gossip. Don't talk behind people's back. Give people the benefit of the doubt. Don't nurse and rehearse in your mind over a person and mentally shred them to pieces. All right? Give them a break. And you see how that's more character. That's kind of the character. I think Jesus said, yeah, that's the kind of character I want. Because guess what? I bet you in heaven, when we're in God's kingdom, I bet you it's not going to be like, well, I, I didn't judge you, but I just talked bad about you behind your back. That's different. I don't think that would fly, right? Right. So as a follower of Christ, what goal are you aiming at? And maybe that's just a good place to start. What are you aiming at? If I were to ask you, what are you aiming at? What's the purpose of your walk with Christ from here on out? What would you say? Write that down. Think about that this week. What specifics of Jesus' goal are still unclear or not simple? I'll come back to it next week. I'll try to simplify and make it a little bit more clear next week. All right? But what parts? Write those down. This didn't make sense. Is Grant really saying this? Come talk to me. I'll try to clarify. How does Jesus' goal change my heart and motivation towards obeying the Sermon on the Mount and the rest of the Bible? Do I just read the Bible and I'm just like trying? It's just all rules, all rules, all rules. And I'm just trying my best to fulfill the rules. That's super tiring. Or is it about, okay, I'm walking with God. I'm going to go build his kingdom, make disciples of all nations. And yes, the rules have a place. And golly, you're going to be a bad basketball player if you're constantly turning over the ball. So you have to focus on the rules at times. You've got to focus very much. But I don't think that's our problem. I don't think we're, we're not focused. I think we hyper-focus on the rules. And we're constantly thinking about the rules. And we're constantly, and then we're like, we're robots. We're not robots. We're human beings. And we're new creations. Let's walk in it. And let's keep adding to that character and keep asking the Lord to grow our character as we fulfill his purpose and walk in his kingdom this week. Amen? Amen. Let's stand with me and we will close in prayer. We're warm in here. <laughs> oh, Father God, we thank you. God, we thank you for, thank you for Jesus. And Father God, we pray for your help this morning. Just make things clear for us. Where are we going? Where are we headed? Where do we aim at? Father God, help us. Help us to obey. We want to obey you. We do. We want to walk in the newness of life. God, we do not want to sin anymore. God, we want to be about your kingdom. And God, we know we're all 
in different places. And, and to some degree, we all want it or don't want it. But God, help us, Holy Spirit. Help us to want what you want. Help us to live our lives for what you would have us live our lives. God, help us to obey. But help us not to make these rules the end. Make them the means to an end. God, help us in that. Father God, may you just continue to strengthen all of us by your Holy Spirit in our inner being, Lord Jesus, so that we may be able to grasp how deep and wide and long is your great love for us. God, help us in the, in the pursuit of living a fulfilling life and living up to our potential. God, help us to see that. Boy, we get that when we make our lives about you and going towards your kingdom. And so God, help us this week. Encourage us in our faith, God. Give us rest. Help us to rest. And Father God, may we just continue to commune with you and continue to just go deeper in our relationship with you as we follow you in your will and in the plans that you have. Lord, we love you and praise you. It's in your name we pray, Lord Jesus. And we all said again, amen. Amen, amen.